podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Thanks for downloading the Forest Rumble podcast. We hope you've been enjoying our recent trips down memory lane. Now it's time for our April review. Uh, this was recorded over the Easter weekend uh, before Tottenham reversed their decision to furlough their staff. If you like what we do, then please do look out for us on social media. It's Forest Ramble on Facebook and Instagram and Nottam underscore Forest on Twitter. And if you like what we do, please also leave a review with your podcast provider. It helps more people find our content. Hello and welcome to April's Forest Ramble podcast. Um, just after we recorded last month, uh, all of a sudden everything changed. Um, obviously, football ended and then we've gone on to lockdown. Many people have been furloughed and we'll have more on that later. Many people are working from home. Uh, these are very, very strange times we're living in. Um, and we wanted to um, have a bit of a discussion about the current state of affairs from a football point of view. Most importantly, we hope that if you're listening to us now, that you are safe and healthy and uh, please do stay in. So we're all recording this remotely from our respective homes. I'm in my conservatory. So if you hear any bird song, then that's nature uh, making its presence felt. And um, it's at least we have glorious weather in the meantime. Um, anyway, I'd like to say a hello to the Married on the Midlands. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yes, good, thank you. Uh, Stephen Topless, how are things with you? Um, I'm very well, all good. Okay, and also Baz, uh, how are things over there? Absolutely fantastic. All right, great. So thank you all for joining us. Um, we are doing this in a slightly different way, so, uh, so um, we will try and keep things ticking over as best we can. Um, we're just going to start off straight away by going into... Uh, what the break means for Forest. Um, Baz, is this break going to be a good thing for Forest's players and the squad? Um, I don't think... <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> because, I mean, it was, we, we, were, we were slipping a little bit as, as we went into this. But, um, so having a short break would have been a good thing. But then, well, we're going to talk about it later, what's going to happen next. But I can't see it actually being a positive all in all. OK. Um, Married on the Midlands, what do you think? Um, yeah, in the sense that we were in bad form when, when we uh, stopped playing and we had a couple of injuries to key players like Silver and uh, Sal. Um, I think it may may have benefited us just allowing us to get those two players back fit and playing again. Uh, but the the big unknown is how fit and fresh, how fit players are going to be when they come back after. So it's basically going to be, they're going to require another pre-season before they get going again. Um, so it, we just don't know, but it's the same for all, all the clubs. So who knows? And Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, from a um, from a, a personnel perspective, it probably did come at a good time, so we could get the likes of so back and and fit. But yeah, you just don't know what this will do to the players in terms of how fit they can keep themselves day to day, because there is no substitute for regular game time. And there is every chance that whenever football does resume, we are going to have to have a form of pre-season. 
before we can get back into competitive action. So from that point of view, really, we're, we're still in the unknown. Yeah, I think it's also worth saying that, um, you know, we're going to come on and talk about what will be the, the best conclusion for the season as things stand. Um, I say that I asked the question about, is this a good thing? Assuming that the season will end. Um, let's talk about that. Um, so the, the kind of options that are being talked about at EFL level, uh, and let's actually keep it specific to EFL championship level. Um, I think that there is a definite feeling amongst most clubs that ending the season um, now and cancelling it, that wouldn't be fair, especially for two reasons. Number one is that Leeds and West Brom have proven themselves over however many matches so far, was it 30, 37 matches so far, to be the best two teams in the division. And they're looking most likely to go automatically. So, um, so they would obviously cry foul. And that would cost them hundreds of millions in terms of revenue if they don't get a Premier League season at the end of this. On the other um, end of the scale, teams at the bottom, well, the relegation dogfight really hotted up in the last month or so. Um, so in terms of that, voiding the season and declaring it null and void would cause all kinds of problems and almost certainly plenty of legal cases. Other options. Um, to end the season right now, allow Leeds and West Brom to go up and to not relegate. Um, and that assumes that the Premier League do something similar. So they give the championships to Liverpool, but they don't relegate teams. So each, team, each division will expand with the promoted teams, but without losing the relegated teams. Um, that might have been affected slightly in the lower leagues because the um, national leagues obviously are talking about, um, you know, they're, they're talking about ending the season, declaring things null and void at various levels of the, what we used to call the pyramid. And then the option that most teams in the championship, it would seem, favour uh, is to basically continue the season, finish it off, but play it behind closed doors to enable fans to stay safe, maintain social distancing, um, with the thing that no one really talks about is the fact that that's still going to cost clubs a lot of money. Um, Baz, you've mentioned before that you live in Leeds. Um, what's the feeling in that neck of the woods with regards to, because I suspect that Leeds fans will be pretty annoyed if they don't get promotion one way or another. Well, Leeds fans being Leeds fans, uh, the thing that I see repeated more often is they're going to engineer a way to avoid giving Leeds the, um, the pro their promotion. So whatever comes out of it, if Leeds don't get promoted, it's going to be a conspiracy against them. Which is okay. what I always say. Um, what would be your preferred option for ending the season? For me, I think the, the play in the games is the only sort of fair way, but even that is still unfair no matter what happens because playing the games is going to result in a basic fixture congestion on unfit players. So the way things are going to end up is going to be necessarily different to how it would have ended up if things had gone on anyway. Okay. And um, on that topic, Baz, I mean, again, being based in Leeds, now, in many ways, Forest have been looking a bit like this season's Leeds in the sense that they had some good uh, form, they were building it upon physical prowess uh, as much as footballing ability, 
and then they started to run out of steam, which is what Bielsa teams traditionally do. Um, if we think about that idea of continuing the season um, behind closed doors, then will that be something that actually it'll be good because it'll have given the Forest players a bit of a break to enable them to kind of, like we said earlier, the, the unfit players to get to get well again and then it'll be more of a level, level playing field when, when play resumes. I think so, but the, the, the unknown is obviously, and, and we've touched on it already, is what's going to happen, what's happening to the players right now because they're training in their own homes like everyone else. So there's going to be a variation in their fitness levels that we can't predict. And it's how quickly they can get back up to speed and how quickly all the different clubs get back up to speed as well. True. Um, Stephen, um, if we think about the other options, um, what do you think about the other options of either cancelling the season and declaring it null and void um, or to think about the other option of actually let the, let the teams in pole position go up. Um, what problems do you foresee with those options? Well, every, every option has got its positives and negatives. And even just to bring it back, um, before I go to your question, to bring it back to playing games behind closed doors, I would argue that there is almost no chance of enforcing social distancing, even with closed doors games, because a football pitch is only so big enough and it would be very difficult to play a game of football and maintain two metres distance from for the players, from each other on the pitch and also for the coaching staff who are going to be on the sidelines. How are the players going to get to the games? Have they all got to go there individually? They can't get on a team bus. So there's so many logistical nightmares that could come up from trying to continue the season behind closed doors. As for going into suspending the season outright given the variables that could come into play if you tried to continue playing the season and the problems you'd encounter that would probably probably be the easiest and almost fairest way to deal with the situation as much as Liverpool in the Premier League Leeds and West Brom in the Championship as much as they might not like it but you could argue as unfair as it is on Liverpool, it's unfair on Bournemouth, Aston Villa, Norwich, teams at the bottom of those leagues who have got just as much chance of getting out of trouble with 10 games to play. It is really a very difficult balancing act that the authorities have got. And it, to be honest, it's a decision which I wouldn't like to make myself. Maradon in the Midlands, uh, going back to Stephen's point about social distancing, um, I guess there's the argument that um, if you've got two groups of where there's, I don't know, 30 people attending the match, um, you know, maybe 20 players plus a few coaching staff, and et cetera, et cetera, who are attending the match, and they have thus far avoided symptoms of coronavirus in their households, I guess that's the argument to say that it, be, would, it would be safer. But from your point of view, um, you know, what, what would be the pros and cons of ending the season behind closed doors? Um, from, from what I've heard so far about playing behind closed doors, it, they're talking about a quarantine situation for the squad. So they go away to a hotel and stay together, 
get tested before they go in and make sure they're all clear of it and then stay sort of maintain their social distancing from their families and friends and what have you. So they just with, with each other and they go and play at a, at a, at a ground against the other team and they, all the, all the clubs will have to agree to do that sort of thing. So I think that would, that would negate the social distancing problem. Um, if needs be, I, I'm I'm not, I'm not against playing behind closed doors. I know some people are saying it's not football without the fans, but just to get get the season out of the way, it might be the only option. Um, it it could there there is an argument say so you just let it go as long as it needs to, and because people are so worried about next season, and I I'd be more willing to sort of get this season out of the way, even if it takes until say December, January, or whenever. And then we have a, a, a resolution to the, the outstanding issues here, who's getting promoted, who's getting relegated, uh, rather than sort of worry too much about next season. Next season, you can sort of have a pared-down competition, maybe leave off international football, European football, um, put, suspend the FA Cup or the League Cup for a season, just get it down to a bare minimum and just to catch up on the time that way. Uh, but I you have to finish this season. I mean, Le- the, the argument where Leeds and West Brom just get promoted is just a completely false one because that, that's not the championship. They're ahead now, but, but nobody wins it in early March as, as when it was suspended. Anything can happen in the championship. And put, I mean, even if Forest aren't going to go up, teams like Brentford and Fulham would definitely still think they've got a hell of a good chance of catching them. I think also it's worth pointing out that those teams who are in the... The ones you've mentioned, Leeds, West Brom, Brentford, Fulham, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that they'd have major, major legal cases and they are the kinds of clubs that have the clout, the legal backing and the financial backing to be able to take those to court. Sure, yeah. I mean, the, the, the legal issues are complicated. Um, the problem, the, There was a problem with sort of players going out of contract as well, but I think FIFA have made a decision now that players' contracts will be expen- extended as for as long as it takes, and the transfer window will be suspended. So that's sort of taking care of that issue. Um, yeah, for me, you just have to play the remaining games whenever they happen. And we, even if it's behind closed doors, you have to play them. And um, do you think that there's um, an issue there in terms of, you mentioned about players' contracts, does that extend to the uh, contract of, of a head coach who happens to be out of contract in the summer? I'm not sure. Um, players' contracts are different from um, managers' contracts as there's a registration involved, which, which is held by FIFA. And they, they release a player to a club when they, when they can play, for, when, the, when the transfer goes through to decide who they can play for. Um, I think they just, so common sense would say that the, the managers would extend their contract as well, including, including Sabri. Just going back to you, Baz, I think um, if we think about um, some of the issues that have come out of that, I think it's easy to forget that hosting matches even behind closed doors does cost clubs a lot of money. Sure, they don't have to deal with security and they don't have to deal with um, the scale of things, but the biggest cost to football clubs is player wages. And one of the things that bumps up player wages is not just their basic wage, but all the bonuses they get. So if players are starting to play again, then all of a sudden the wage bill starts to skyrocket because players are getting appearance bonuses, points bonuses, goal bonuses, win bonuses, and so on and so forth. Um, Baz, is, is that sustainable in the, in, the, in the championship? We know it's not at lower leagues. 
Um, well, uh, yes and no. I mean, um, ideally, you'd you'd imagine that there'd be some sort of um, some sort of clauses in the players' contracts about something like this. But whether it's um, they're, 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 like, for example, you'll you'll notice that most people's household insurance doesn't cover this because it's it's, it's excluded. So you'd wonder if there there might be stuff around the wages that, that covers that in some way because lawyers are lawyers. But having said that, it's it's also likely that there's going to be ways around that. I think the the ultimate thing is the the everyone needs to get paid for what they do. But the the situation is so unusual and so out of the ordinary. I can't see that everything's just going to carry on as it was before. There will be a way around it somehow. Mm. Okay, and uh, I mean, just if we think about what that could mean. Um, I'm just wondering as well about the issue of player wages. Um, player wages are the biggest cost, and Forrest's um, wage bill is over 100% of their income. Income has dropped. Wages aren't as high as they were, but Forrest have also taken the decision to furlough some non-playing staff and to top up their wages so they get... So they, they're claiming 80% of the wage from the government, but they're going to top that up with 20% of club money so that those um, people who are furloughed do not miss out financially. Um, now, there's a whole moral issue about furloughing, um, particularly in terms of when big businesses do it. I think it's worth reminding ourselves that, um, without going into business jargon, but a lot of football clubs are still classed as small to medium-sized businesses. Um, the amount of money that goes through them is immense, but they are still SMEs in that sense. Um, so in that way, you could argue that football clubs are justified in furloughing. But we've also seen that some clubs have made a decision to not furlough on a moral and ethical basis, and then others have, um, have, have decided to do it anyway. Um, Tottenham being club who've taken lots of penalties for it. And then we've had the situation where Liverpool, they announced the decision to furlough. Apparently they didn't intend to do it that way, but uh, then they bowed to pressure from a lot of fans groups. And, and then they've received a lot of praise in the press, rightly or wrongly, for overturning that decision. Thanks for listening to the Forest Ramble podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast provider, as this helps other Forest supporters find our content. Now on with the pod. The Forest Ramble Sketch by Jeremy Davis One of the strangest things about life under lockdown is the blurring of week and weekend. With no sporting fixtures, no need to go anywhere, nothing to distinguish one day from the next. It's important to establish a routine. For those with children, one of the key elements of the weekday routine has been Joe Wicks's PE sessions. Now, as a middle-aged man spending his weekday mornings leaping around pretending to be a mummy kangaroo whilst admonishing his children to take it more seriously, I was keen to familiarise myself with other home fitness options. So you can imagine my delight on discovering Keeping Fit with Cashy, in which Matty Cash demonstrates a number of exercises we can do in the comfort of our own living room and its companion piece, Keeping Fit with Carvalho, in which JC goes through a different set of reps on fast forward like one of those old VHS tapes. There's no clear indication of why it's just these two. Are we to assume the rest of the squad aren't bothering to keep themselves fit? Maybe they're all watching Joe Wicks. Anyway, as fitness aids, the videos provide an interesting insight into footballers' exercise regimes. Artistically, though, they're 
slightly disturbing. Cash's offering, seemingly filmed on his smartphone in front of a very 1980s cream sofa and matching rug, seems, fittingly enough, like an audition for the fitness guru role on an early morning magazine show. It's a shame Mr Motivator has come out of retirement as Cashy would surely be a shoo-in for the job were there a vacancy. He's upbeat and encouraging, slightly hamstrung by the narrowness of the smartphone screen, meaning that in a number of exercises involving stretches or lunges, parts of his body are off-camera. This becomes an issue when he's performing dips or lunges which require him to lean on an object out of shot for support. As his arms are off-camera and he appears to be levitating his torso at an unknown angle to nature. Don't try this at home, kids. The chilled-out vibe Cashy puts across is also at odds with the tune that plays over every exercise, a kind of heavy metal rock melody that has you wanting to sprint up the steps of Rocky's gym in Philadelphia. The whole thing's a bit silly, but you get some handy exercises out of it, and Cashy's chummy commentary leaves you feeling that this level of fitness isn't out of reach. There's one odd bit when his dog steps in front of his face, so it looks for a moment as if he's turned into some kind of canine centaur with a dog's head and a footballer's legs, a possible reference to Everton's 1995 FA Cup-winning Dogs of War outfit. But on the whole, it's fairly upbeat, wholesome fun. If Cashy's Mr Motivator effort doesn't have you reaching for the leotard and sweatbands, you may be tempted to check out Keeping Fit with Jean Carvalho. Be warned, though, once you've seen this abomination, you can't unsee it where to begin in describing the horror of this video. Let's ease our way in gently. This soundtrack, in complete contrast to Cashy's heavy metal medley, is a gothic-sounding soft synth arrangement. If you ever played Shadow of the Beast on the Amiga in the 90s, this will feel very familiar. But it's the dog that is both the star and the villain of the piece. Now, as a cat person, I have to say that football players' fondness for dogs seems to me indicative of something deeper than mere yearning for companionship possibly something to do with a need for unquestioning and unconditional loyalty and obedience related to the hierarchical nature of football clubs. But nonetheless, while Cashy's dog was happy enough to mostly sit in the background, Carvalho's pooch wanted and took a leading role. JC's dog is a boy. We're left in absolutely no doubt about this, as he steps in front of the camera and waggles his meat and two veg around like the wagging finger of a referee. We all know what boy dogs are into, of course, and this little chap proves to be no exception, enthusiastically humping anything he can get his leg around. Mostly various parts of JC's body which are left exposed, for want of a better word, by the exercise routines. It'll probably split opinion between dog-owning forest fans and the decent-minded majority of us who prefer cats. Suffice it to say, for my part, I'll be sticking to the kangaroo jumps and Spider-Man lunges on Joe Wicks's channel, at least until Michael Dawson makes a fitness vid featuring a cat watching disdainfully from a dignified distance. Forest have made that decision to furlough some of their staff. Um, Stephen, is that right in, from a moral, ethical, and in fact from a point of view of, you know, should a club like Forest be doing that? Well, the the question of should a club like Forest be doing that? Forest are very different to the the clubs at the the highest end of the the football pyramid, the likes of Liverpool, Manchester City, Tottenham. Even those clubs are profitable. Those clubs have got vast amounts of income from commercial um, and international ventures, and even the TV money that that's paid to them every season. 
Forest largely operate at a loss, as do many clubs in the championship. So with that in mind, and you also have to factor in financial fair play, it it doesn't seem on the face of it all that bad from a business point of view that Forest have had to go down the route. And I say that because of financial fair play. Now I'm sure Evangelos Maranakis could probably chuck one million, two million pounds into the club to prevent furloughing staff. But if that's classed as some kind of wage bill with the club, some kind of operating cost that will then push Forest over the limits of financial fair play, the club might have no choice but to go down the furloughing route to avoid any financial fair play sanctions in the future. Quite. Um, and of course, what we're not sure about with financial fair play is which costs do contribute to to the permitted losses and which do not. I mean, obviously, we've seen tricks by a lot of clubs to get around these types of things. The most notable one at the moment being the whole selling your stadium to your owner thing, which uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Derby and you know, a few others have uh, have played that game. Um, Maradon the Midlands, will this see a, a, a permanent change to the way in which, for example, player transfers are done and player wages are paid? I don't think so. Um, it might have a short-term effect because um, there's just a, a shortage of money going to be around in, in the... Uh, in the economy for the next few months. Um, it might have a knock-on effect on this transfer window coming up and maybe the next one. Uh, but there's always going to be somebody out there who's willing to uh, break the bank to go, go for Premier League money, um, break the bank on, on players, say, contracts coming to an end and somebody else wants him. There's always somebody who's going to offer him higher wages. That's why it's, it's got to this stage already why so many players are on such huge contracts and why such inflated transfer fees are already all, always being paid. It's just, there's always somebody out there with a bit more money, with a bit who thinks they can succeed. And, um, I mean, so essentially what we're saying is that, the, you know, the race to get to the top it is actually a bit of a race to the bottom in, in that sense. And, of course, leads to all these moral and ethical judgments that are being being made. Um, I saw an interesting um, thing. Uh, it was reported on The Athletic and there was an interview with the chief exec, I think, of Luton. Um, and he was saying that um, furloughing players is probably unlawful. And that's a very interesting situation. Um, from a legal point of view, the way I understand it is that... Um, uh, if you're furloughed, you are essentially suspended. Your work is suspended, rather. And obviously, players are still in daily contact with the club, with the head coach, with the fitness trainers and so on. And therefore, from a legal point of view, they probably can't be furloughed. There's the other issue, of course, that furloughing players, the 80% um, contribution only extends to wages up to £2,500 a month. And we know that most players um, earn a lot more than that in a week. So I think there's, there's another dimension there. Um, Baz, would you agree that it would certainly be immoral, apart from potentially unlawful, for players at a club in the Championship to be furloughed? 
Well, uh, yeah, by, as you say, by the def- well, yeah, legally, it's, it's by the definition of furlough. That means they literally cannot do anything. So they can't do any training or anything like that. So that on that side of it is that way. Um, in terms of immoral, well, in a way, you could argue that yeah, they, they have they've lost their work because of the the situation because of the lockdown. Um, so in that terms, in, in the terms of the from the players' point of view, it could be classed as moral. But from a wider society point of view, then. Yeah, these are people who don't need that money, even if it is only two and a half thousand pounds a month. For most players, uh, certainly not uh, at the championship level and above, they don't need that money coming in. So th- there's no need to claim it from the rest of us. Yeah, and of course, um, we've got Leeds, Brentford and Birmingham who moved quickly to agree wage deferrals um, so that those those players are putting off receiving those wages presumably to help out with cash flow issues mm. in the in the me- short to medium term. Um, but when the uh, 24 clubs in the championship put, uh, had a meeting, uh, some people supported it. Some people uh, supported it with the idea of a maximum wage ceiling of £6,000 a week. Um, but a lot of other clubs said, well, no, what that's doing is it's rewarding the clubs who are just throwing money at things. Um, Married on the Midlands, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose it is rewarding them. It's, it, I mean, from looking at it from the Forest point of view, it, it's a very difficult situation. There's no right or wrong answer. From a business point of view, the cash flow has completely stopped at Forest for the last month or so. And they probably would struggle to cover everything, um, all the wages and everything. So, you can understand why they have furloughed. Um, it's not as simple as sort of just chucking money at it from the owner because there are implications on that. You're only allowed to maybe loan them the money or in, in terms of FFP. Uh, from the Forest point of view, it would have been nice to hear from the players saying, we'll, we'll take a, a wage cut maybe, um, even if it's just a small one, 10% or so. So Forest could maybe avoid going down the furloughing route, but not really heard anything in, in that terms. So maybe I don't know if they have or if they haven't. I'm sure some players are doing charity, charitable gifts and what have you from off their own backs. But it would have been nice as a club to say we're trying our best not to uh, use the government money and the squad is sort of helping out the non-playing staff in that sense. Um, it's, really, it's really difficult. Nobody know nobody knows what the right thing to do is is here. I mean, for, from a, from a Premier League point of view. It does it does stink a little bit because they they're going to spend millions of pounds on on salaries every week. So to furlough sort of non-playing staff who are going to be on sort of hundreds of pounds a week seems ridiculous. Especially when when they like next transfer window they're going to spend, sort of spend thirty forty million pounds on transfers. It, it does it does seem immoral for them to claim it. Okay, um, so for what it's worth, I put up put out a poll on our Twitter feed um, and. The, the vast majority of, of fans um, said uh, that they preferred the idea of ending the season behind closed doors with 73% voting for that. 17.5% said they want to end the season with current positions. So, um, you know, we just stop the season as it is. And then 9.5% said they want to void the season with no ups or downs. Um, on that topic that we started off with, of if the season does continue, will this be good for Forest? Uh, Two thirds said yes, 
uh, 9% said no. Uh, a quarter of people said it makes no difference, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the season continues or not, so far as sports tunes. And then, um, Stephen, I just want to sort of come to you as our social media correspondent, just to pick up on a point that Murray John the Midlands made. Um, Joe Lolly has been the player who, as, as with most things political, he's the one who's been, who's kind of stuck his head above the parapet. And he's made the point that actually on players who are on um, thousands of pounds a week and Forrest's annual, uh, sorry, Forrest's weekly uh, average wage is apparently somewhere in the region of £15,000 a week. Um, he made the point that um, cutting players' wages will significantly reduce the tax take at a time when that money is going towards supporting the NHS and supporting uh, businesses who genuinely can't afford to support their staff. It's going towards welfare costs and so on and so forth. So, um, but on the other hand, he is also, and he didn't shout about this, other people did, he's made significant um, donations, upwards of £1,000 each, to, um, to, to charity um, to support those. Um, do you think that that Lolly's doing it the right way? I, I think he's got the right kind of perspective on the issue. Um, if you if you just uh, expand on his points a bit more about the the sort of tax contributions that come off earning you know large sums of money, yes, if if you take that money away from the footballers, they probably won't be paying the same amount of money in tax on contributing to the same level that they are at the moment or will be from their wages. The other uh, sort of is... Okay, you know, Stephen, I'm going to stop you there because uh, the, uh, the, the quality of the lines just dropped out a little bit. I'll come back to you a little bit later. Um, in the meantime, let's, let's move on. And... Um, uh, you know, so there is a whole issue about tax take. We'll we'll move on from there. And let's move on to something else. Let's move on to um, Sabri Lamushi. Uh, we said we'd come back to him. Um, as things stand, his contract expires this summer. Um, I asked you on Twitter um, about whether Sabri should be offered a new deal. So 3.3% um, of people said, no, he shouldn't. We had 45.7% um, said, yes, he should be offered one more season. And then 51.1% said he should be offered a longer term deal. Um, Baz, what's your verdict on Sabri so far as the Forest coach? I think um, there, it's been a learning curve for him at this season. I think he has probably made some mistakes along the way and I think that's partly why we've dipped in form towards the end of the season but I think that if we throw him away and bring someone else in then that makes this entire season a waste when actually there's an awful lot that we can build on. Okay, Married on the Midlands, Radio Nottingham have made the point a few times in response to what fans are tweeting and calling them about of, you know, if Sabri is kept on, it's going to be on the basis of are Forest doing better um, as a result of his tenure than they were before? And I think it's hard to argue, just purely in league position, but as well in terms of the feel around the club um, and uh, you know the way in which they played at times. It's hard to argue that Forest aren't doing better under him than they have been doing under 
many managers in the last few years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we could hardly have dreamt of such a good season at the beginning of the, of the season. And he's, we've made such good progress. And he will have learned from his mistakes this year. And he's got that year's experience under his belt. So to not offer him a contract would seem a terrible folly. And Stephen, let's just see if your line's picking up. But um, had Sabri been sold a bit of a bit of a pup in the transfer window, or how much do you think that's down to him making those choices? Because obviously the squad strength has been tested. We have seen players like Cash, who's played more or less every match, looking absolutely knackered. Is that down to Sabri, or is that down to the club letting him down? I, I think. I think it's a two-way thing. The manager has to take responsibility for the players brought in. If he doesn't feel that he needs a certain number of players, then he will have the say to to veto any transfer. But the the other side of that is if the club are finding players who are not up to scratch or perhaps one example being Gaetan Bong, who hadn't played a lot of football this season, he came in. Look at the Charlton game, he looked so off the pace, it was frightening at times. The, the kind of the danger that Forrest were being put in with him at the back not really being up to speed. So if the club are providing players who at the moment are not up to standard, then how much of a say does the manager have in that? Is the manager having those players forced upon him? Has the manager gone to the club and said, I need a left back? The club comes back and says, here is your left back but he might not have played all that much this season. Without kind of knowing the ins and outs of, of the transfer business at Forest and how it's conducted day to day, it's very hard to kind of pin the blame on one party. Uh, Married on the Midlands, there was an article um, about Andreas Salenzi um, on The Athletic recently. And the, one of the most interesting things about it, because obviously everyone agreed that Salenzi's time at the City ground was... Was, was, was torrid at best. Um, but they asked Frank Clark, and he said the reason it didn't work out for Andrea and he was never going to work for Forrest is because he was a panic buy. And thinking about Bong, I'm thinking that. He, he, he looks and feels like a panic buy because of Chema moving on. What do you think? Yeah, you're probably right. I think losing Chema was a big blow because we lost not only a left-sided player, but somebody who could play in centre-half as well and who probably would have played on, looked like he could play well, even at a higher level for the next two or three years. Um, at the time, we all thought it was a decent signing, an experienced player, somebody who's got promoted already, somebody who's played in the Premier League. So it's, it's difficult to say that it's a, a terrible signing from terms of uh, Forest recruitment team. On paper, it looked like a decent signing. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. It's, it's just one of those things. I mean, the other thing that's worth saying is that he had a terrible debut, um, but that's sometimes what happens when a player comes in who hasn't played, doesn't know the way the, the club operate, doesn't know the way the style of the team. Um, and joining a team mid-season is very difficult for a player to come in and, and, and improve things. So, um, you know, in that sense, I have a little bit of sympathy for Bong. Um, Baz, thinking about a couple of the other signings, Again, on The Athletic, there was a piece on Nuno da Costa and um, Sabri was quoted there saying that with the likes of da Costa and Dear Carby, it gives us options. And Dear Carby is obviously another one who's flattered to deceive. Da Costa, we can't really make up our mind because he's played 20 minutes and in, in 
Charlton, which was a really bad, bad night. Um, but again, does that suggest that maybe Forrest's transfer policy has let Sabri down? I think, well, so, I, mean, I think I said last time uh, that Dear Carby actually impressed me last time I saw him play, even though the fans continued to slate him, that, that he started to, to seem to be getting a grip on what he was doing a little bit and started having a bit of an end product. Obviously, can't say anything about De Costa. I don't know about that side of things. I think what I would say is the the idea of having us us having a very, very small, tight-knit squad, the impression I get is that was Sabri's move. That wasn't so. We had remember at the start of the season we were saying, well, we've got all these midfielders, and suddenly half the team have been frozen out. That was Sabri's move to keep a tight knit squad, and I think that in some ways that's what's hurt us a little bit as the season's gone on. And maybe that's Sabri's inexperience when it comes to the championship is actually you need that larger squad just to keep things fresh, so you've got people available to freshen things up, and that's why we've ended up doing some buys that maybe we wouldn't have done if we hadn't frozen out those other players earlier on. Mm, and I mean, with that in mind, just to stay with you, Vas, um, is that a sign of what happens when you chop and change managers? Because obviously, Karanka had a lot of players. Um, uh, had a lot of players and he he bought lots of players and didn't necessarily let lots of players go and some of those players were on longer term contracts and although he shipped a few out in that January transfer window when he just arrived uh, you know there was it's was, it's stark contrast isn't it because Karank had loads and loads of players many of whom were never going to touch a squad again and then Sabri's got a very small core is yeah, that well, a problem with changing managers is that a strategy issue well, the, the changing managers thing will always require some some re, uh, amount of rebuilding uh, of the squad each time. So you have to you're going to have to chop and change the players every time the manager changes because every manager's got different preferences. But with what Sabri did at the start was there were players that we thought could still do a job that were getting shipped out, and we're not entirely sure why that was. I mean, there's there's some like. Um, like Daryl Murphy, who weren't going to fit in that style of play, but actually could actually, uh, this situation could have done a job for us, even though he's an entirely different style of player. Uh, there's ones like, um, I always thought Bridcook could actually fit quite well into Sabri's style of play, but he, for whatever reason, never even got a chance at that. So there's, there's different things that we could look, we could have done maybe differently at the start of the season that might have had an effect at the end of the season now. Mm. And um, married on the Midlands, do you think that um, do you think that Sabri will learn from this in terms of his recruitment if he does get another chat another season as Forest Gaffer? Yeah, I'm not sure he has that much say in um, who comes. I mean, I'm sure he's got an input because he's got a good knowledge of the French game um, and the African game. So he, he, I'm sure he'll be able to give tips to to the recruitment team, say, go for this guy, go for that guy. But it's difficult. The the good players, everybody wants them. Um, their value goes up and the wages go up. Um, with the restraints of FFP, it's it's always going to be hard. You have to have a balancing act. That's why signings of players like Silver and Sal and Samba were so impressive because they're, they they're not big names. It wouldn't have cost a lot of money. Um, and they worked really well. So I don't think we should give club too much of a hard time regarding the transfers. The, the January was a very tough time to do anything. So um 
But yeah, I don't think you need a massive overhaul either of the squad. Just maybe one. It depends where we are. We might be in the Premier League. Who knows? It should just change the whole situation. So uh, let's wait and see. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves yet. Okay. And finally, on this topic, Stephen, um, do you think that Forrest, the way in which they approached the January window, was with half an eye on that old that old chestnut FFP? I do, yes. Um, if you if you consider the changes that have taken place at the club in the last eighteen months, with Karanka arriving and then leaving again, Martin O'Neill coming in and going, and then Sabri Lamushi, there would have been some fair 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 amounts of money spent on changing managers, on bringing players in for those managers. So, Forest have probably spent a fair bit of money in the last few years because of of the changes that have taken place. So with that in mind, they probably felt that they couldn't spend vast amounts of money in January because it could have put the, the future of the club at risk. And, and certainly when the club is in a position that it is in the in the top six of the championship, any kind of points deductions or sanctions would have really hurt them. So you also have to look at the job that Sabri was doing up until January. He got a, a, he got a lot out of that squad. Um, and really turn them into a solid, efficient unit. And a team that perhaps at the beginning of the season, not many would have predicted them to be where they were. And then you look at what he's been getting out of players like Joe Worrell, who is a youth product, Matty Cash playing at a level which has been far above any level that he's played in a Forest shirt before this season. Ben Watson, who looked like he might have been out of the door under Martin O'Neill comes in and is a rejuvenated player. You know, Sabri proved himself capable of getting a lot out of players at his disposal. So perhaps it was felt that he didn't need big money, marquee signings to, to make things happen, that he, he could take players uh, and really squeeze every every last drop out of them. Mm, interesting thoughts. Anyway, so we'll... Um... We'll close off there, I think, because we've, we've had plenty of interesting discussion there and very little of it, naturally, is about what goes on on the pitch because there's nothing going on on the pitch. Um, in the meantime, we hope that you've been enjoying um, our specials. We've been doing some memorable matches and you've already heard from Jeremy and myself about a couple of matches back in, back in the, the glory days, the Frank Clark era, and we've got more of those to come. Um, do stick with us um, and obviously when there's an announcement made about whether the season will resume or otherwise um, we will be back on the case and we'll be bringing you match reports and we will hope to convene and bring you some kind of preview of of the last leg of the season Um, in the meantime thank you very much to Baz to Maradon the Midlands to Stephen and to Jeremy for his sketch and we will be with you very very soon stay safe and healthy We're Renee and Adrian, and we are the Outlandish Historians. We're sisters, nerds, and lovers of all things history, except bell bottoms. Keep that in the past. Come hang out with us on the Dear World of History podcast, where we'll frolic through time as we chat and geek out over the good 
the bad, and the downright ugly history of the world. We promise you don't have to be a licensed historian to travel through time with us. Maritime disasters? Check. Historical serial killers? Check. Glamorous and petty royals? Check and check. You can find us almost anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Dear Historians and Instagram at Outlandish Historians. So chug that drink me bottle and come on down the rabbit hole. It's going to be a wild ride. Sports Social Podcast Network.